Welcome back, everybody, to episode 28 of the Gridirons and Goal Lines Football Podcast. My name is Angelo. That's Taylor. Taylor, do your thing. Uh, glad to be here, Angelo. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Taylor. That's that's how we'll start from now on. Taylor, I just want to thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Oh, thanks. Uh, it's a new experience for me. Special, Always looking for those. Special guest Taylor. He usually only shows up when we talk about his Eagles, but he decided to stick around for all the other divisions. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're doing our division reviews, as you guys already know. Today we're heading down to the NFC South, which we're pretty excited to talk about. Uh, who am I kidding? We're, we're excited to talk about all these divisions. Whatever. We can't can't just point to one and say it's my favorite. Uh, so, first of all, we need to plug all of our good stuff. So, first of all, uh, go to our Twitter right now. Okay? So, pause. We'll pull over because you're probably driving. And then you're going to want to pause. You're going to want to go to our Twitter. You're going to want to go to the at G-G-O-A-L-L-I-N-E-S. That's the Gridirons and Good Lines football podcast Twitter. Follow that thing comment at us or tweet at us or whatever it's called these days and taylor where else can people find us uh yes you can find us pretty much anywhere uh podcasts are found we do have a youtube channel uh normally the the casts get uploaded to that at about the same time as everywhere else we're on spotify google podcasts the anchor app breaker radio public um you know pretty much everywhere we're not we're still not on apple yet taylor now taylor did we get the kitchen sink compatibility yet from last episode uh, not quite yet. Uh, still working on, uh, you know, it, it's a very fluid process. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. I was trying to think of another pun, but I can't think of one. So that was a good one. Taylor gets it for the day. Special guest Taylor, everybody. Thanks for coming. Yay. Episode over. <laughs> uh, so what should you guys be expecting today? Obviously, we're going to be going into some in-depth research and analysis on each division and their offseason so far. Uh, this includes free agent signings, per, uh, staff personnel changes, draft picks. We're also going to be picking a team that has won the best offseason, the, the worst offseason, and a couple other things, okay? And just a reminder before we get started, we are recording remotely, so uh, just keep that in mind if there's any technical difficulties as we experienced a couple episodes ago. So thank you for being patient with us through that, and thank you for listening. And let's start talking about the NFC South. So uh, just a reminder, we start at the top of the standings from last year. So, of course, we're going to head on down to New Orleans. Uh, talk about the Saints real quick. So no major staffing changes in New Orleans. No surprise as they have you know, had great campaigns the last few years. Uh, the quarterback room has changed up as Teddy Bridgewater left to get his starting job in Carolina. Taysom Hill uh, remains on the roster, but likely not in the backup quarterback role as the Saints signed Jameis Winston to a one-year deal. Uh, Breeze also signed a two-year extension, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to play two more seasons as there's plenty of speculation that this could be his last year. Taylor, do we think that Winston found his best 2020 opportunity? Uh, given that the Saints were a team willing to sign him, I think he probably did. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I mean, I don't know. I Jameis Winston is one of those guys where I just feel like if he has the, the correct coaching, possibly could be an average quarterback. <laughs> well, I think I think he could actually. I mean, he certainly has the potential to be above average. Is the thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why he has such a turnover problem, but he's actually just such a gifted quarterback with such tremendous attitude problems. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I saw a post from him recently where he basically said that, uh, in his opinion, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. Okay, I saw that. So that wasn't a joke? I, Th- that was a I real quote? Know. 
Okay, because I saw that and I was, I was like, oh, that's a funny. I didn't know that that was a sarcastic uh, Instagram account and I just kept scrolling. <laughs> uh, I think that Jameis Winston found, I don't know if it was the best 2020 opportunity. I think the best 2020 opportunity may have been the Patriots, but I don't know. I think it was a good 2020 opportunity for him. Um, I think that it is a better backup than Taysom Hill because I don't think Taysom Hill is a pure quarterback. I think he's an exciting player, and I think that I like watching him play football, but I don't want to watch him play quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. I agree. It's as simple as that. I'd rather see Jameis Winston do it. So uh, The Saints quietly had a great free agency signing period. Uh, they re-signed some key veterans, but also brought in Malcolm Jenkins, the former Eagle. The 32-year-old was signed to a four-year, $32 million deal with about half that guaranteed. The Saints sprinkled cap space throughout the team and free agency uh, with depth pickups. Primarily, the defense was focused on uh, the Saints were ta- the Saints were ranked 20th in passing yards allowed last season. Uh, do we think that addressing the pass defense is the key in this division now, Taylor? Uh, I I'd say probably. You know, if you look at whatever passing attack we're going to see out of Tampa Bay, you know, with Mike Evans and Tom Brady, and then we still have you know Matt Ryan and Julio in Atlanta. And, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is no slouch uh, yeah, and, at quarterback. And they have some solid weapons over there in, in Carolina. Definitely not the same caliber as the Falcons or the, or the Buccaneers. But, you know, that, that Carolina offense is definitely a team that could win games. Yeah, I mean, I think the Car- – and we're obviously going to get to Carolina, but I think the thing about the Carolina offense you're going to see is they are the fastest team in this division. But we're going to figure out later on if speed kills. All right, so perhaps the biggest offseason addition for the Saints was the two-year deal for Emmanuel Sanders. Sanders is 33, but has had a great last 20 games with uh, both the 49ers and the Denver Broncos. Uh, obviously, Emmanuel Sanders was a big uh, get for the 49ers uh, recently. So considering the consistency with the Saints, do we think that Sanders could be the element to get the Saints deep into the playoffs, Sailor? I don't think so. I think he's a solid acquisition for the team. I think he's a good player even still and is going to be helpful. But I don't think, uh, you know, 33-year-old wide receiver of Emmanuel Sanders' caliber is going to be the difference between not choking in the playoffs for the fourth straight year (laughs) and actually, you know, making it somewhere. Yeah, and this isn't a question here, but like, in your opinion, what should have been addressed? in order for them to, to stop getting those situations in the playoffs? Um, honestly, it, it really feels like uh, they needed to work on their defense a bit, I think especially their secondary. Yeah. Uh, they, they have a good secondary, but if you watch their playoff runs, they just get torched by a miracle play mostly, you know, late in a playoff game and lose. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd probably agree with that. So the Saints... Had a pretty quiet draft, uh, but draft pick Cesar Ruiz, who is a guard center, uh, versatile player, and Zach Braun, a linebacker, are both highly regarded and had great re- careers in the Big Ten. So, I mean, that's okay, I guess. But for the most part, the Saints kind of just remained the same, other than picking up Emmanuel Sanders and Malcolm Jenkins, which combined age, they are 65 years old. So it's like they definitely went with the veteran experience. Um, and I think the Jameis Winston signing isn't isn't much to think about right now. So I don't know. The Saints did Saints things, I guess. I think they're banking on their team being what it needs to be. Um, Atlanta Falcons, despite underperforming since the Super Bowl last, since the Super Bowl lost three years ago, Dan Quinn will continue to be the head coach of the Falcons. There was some mix around in the defensive uh, coaching staff. Uh, should there have been a change of head coach though, Taylor? Like, 
should Dan Quinn have a job this year? See, that's a really tough question for me because uh, obviously, like you said, they haven't been doing well since the Super Bowl loss, but they they still so like last season they started off abysmally, and then there was threats of Dan Quinn getting fired and be, apparently because the players like him so much they started playing better and did super well <laughs> and if they're capable of that was the problem with the head coaching or is it like player motivation at this point i don't know it's weird um it's it's definitely like a it, it reminds me of marvin lewis for the Bengals. that's what it reminds me of and you know marvin lewis stayed at the Bengals way too long and drove that franchise into the ground so I don't think that the Falcons should hang on to Dan Quinn much longer, especially if they have another um, sub-10 win season. It is worth noting, uh, we you know see a lot of head coaching changes in the NFL, but very rarely do you see a new head coach come into a team with veteran leadership like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. You know, if you look at like all the problems in Cleveland, every time they swap a head coach, they have a you know, two or three year like rookie quarterback that has to work with that, you know? Right. Uh, teams frequently have to deal with new quarterback and a new coach. And like, I think if they wanted to swap out a coach, it would be right, like right now, next season, whatever. Uh, because Matt Ryan isn't going to be in the league too much longer at this point. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I think that Matt Ryan's done. I, I really think Matt Ryan has done as much as he can in his NFL career. And, uh, I mean, I think at this point we're going to start seeing a, a downward slope from him, honestly. But that will come in the uh, division predictions later on. We'll get to that later. So, March was a busy month for the Falcons. Uh, Devonta Freeman, Desmond Truffaut, and Austin Hooper all found new homes as they departed from the uh, from the Falcons. Freeman and Truffaut released and, uh, were released, and the extension could not be agreed upon for Hooper. So, however, Atlanta did trade for Hayden Hurst. They sent a second and a fifth. And they also received a fourth along with Hayden Hurst. They signed Tom Gurley to a one-year deal, which, if I remember correctly, Taylor likes this a lot, and picked up veteran uh, Dante Fowler, who just came off 11.5 sack season for the LA Rams. What is our opinion of these veteran moves? How do we feel about the swap of Hooper uh, to Hurst at tight end? Okay, <clears throat> so I'm going to start with what could maybe be considered a little bit of a hot take here. <laughs> okay. But uh, Devonta Freeman, Desmond Trufant, and Austin Hooper are all significantly worse than the money they were asking for. Ooh. Every single one of them. And there's a reason Devonta Freeman, as of the time of this recording, is not on a team right now. Ooh, that's a, that's a hot, hot take. That's a hot yeah. take. That was my sound uh, effect. Austin Hooper is good, but I, I don't remember what, what they're paying him over in Cleveland, but it's a lot. It's a yeah. Lot. Yeah. I'll actually look that up real quick because I do remember it was a lot. <laughs> uh, so l losing all those players uh, in this situation, I think is perfectly fine. Uh, you have to move off a player when they become too expensive. And here's the thing. Devonta Freeman is a pretty good running back. Mm -hmm. But he has had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, injuries yeah. in his career. And so basically, they're replacing Devonta Freeman with Todd Gurley, who is as good, has as many injuries, but was cheaper this year. Yeah, I would say so. So, so uh, Austin Hooper's contract, actually, Taylor, is, I think, cheaper than probably you thought. 
So it is a four-year contract for $44 million with only 23 guaranteed. Yeah, I still think $11 million a year for uh, a tight end is kind of high if you're not really good. That's, you know what, yeah. I'll I'll give you that. That's that's a good take. That's a good take. Maybe that's not crazy high, but I just don't think the Falcons needed to pay that for him. You're probably right on that. I'd say I'd say yeah. I mean, it, Hayden Hurst is just an interesting player here because he's he's very young. Now I hold on. Let me let me make sure I didn't add that question, but I don't think I did. How do we feel about the Hayden Hurst trade? Do we feel like it was a it was a good even trade, sending over the second and the fifth and receiving uh, Hurst in the fourth? It, it might have been a bit high. Think so. You know, if it was like, I don't know. I I don't know how I would fix that trade. Maybe make it a, a fourth and a fifth, and drop off the fourth that went the other way. Right. Well, he, or something. About, I just I think a second round pick is a little bit high. Obviously, getting back the fourth helps. But. Right. Well, he, here's a question for you, Taylor. If you were trading that, what would? Okay, he's a two year player. This will be a, his third season. What career stats or around what career stats would you have liked him to have for this kind of trade? I mean, um, probably around what? Probably around 100 catches for a tight end, maybe close to 1,000 yards for a tight end, probably a few touchdowns. Maybe yeah, probably, something like probably that. more. Okay, well, here's the deal. He In his career, he's had 43 catches, 512 yards, and three touchdowns in two seasons. I, yeah, see, that's not that's not a lot. I don't love it. I don't love it, Taylor. I don't love it. Okay, you know, definitely, he's not bad, right? But could you have drafted a tight end in the second round for that pick? You could have, and you could have drafted a good one because this was a good tight end draft. So mm-hmm. it, it's weird. I think that I feel like the Falcons just felt like they had to do it for some weird reason. Now, with all that said, I think Hayden Hurst is going to have a good year because tight ends historically just do really well in Atlanta. Yeah, and, I agree. And there's a reason why Austin Hooper wanted to get paid because he knew he was doing really well in Atlanta. Uh, maybe not as well for thir- for eleven million dollars, but uh, I think Matt Ryan likes throwing to a big tight end who could run routes really well, and Hayden Hurst is that. So okay, the Falcons went heavy on defense in the draft. This is no surprise as the Falcons were in the bottom twelve of most defensive categories this past year and have been on a decline since their Super Bowl loss. Considering how productive the passing offense was last season, should the Falcons have focused more money on the defense? Or is the $6 million investment in Gurley worth trying to jump from their bottom three rushing offense? Well, I've already expressed that I think that the Gurley deal is worth it. $6 million is really just not that much in this league right now. Right, okay. Uh, I mean, point of fact, the, the Falcons are paying Todd Gurley less money this year than the Rams are. Right. <laughs> Funny how that works out. Uh, looking at you, Miami and Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill last year. <laughs> well, I, I guess I'm just wondering, Taylor, though, like, I know it's $6 million. I know it's not a lot of money. But when you're looking at the abysmal defensive situation um, with the Falcons, like, and you're looking at how productive the pass offense is for the Falcons, why not put that $6 million into the defense instead of going for a running back that you're not even going to use? Well, I think they are going to use their running back. Sure, but I don't think I, I. I mean, do you think that they really get out of a bottom ten rushing offense with Todd Gurley? I think that's the the kind of hope that they're going for. Okay. Uh, you know, you they they look at how Todd Gurley was, you know, a couple seasons ago, and you're hoping, okay, you spend six million dollars one year, either he's still Todd Gurley and we got a steal, 
Or he's not, and we're out $6 million. Okay, okay. So, I guess the real question here is, Taylor, as we wrap up the Falcons, did the Falcons address the correct issue this offseason? Uh, even though I like a lot of the moves that they made, I still don't think that they quite addressed the correct issue. Uh, they definitely needed to put more into their defense. I just don't think the Todd Gurley deal is what stopped them from doing that. That's fair. But their, their defense definitely needed more work. Uh, and they, they should have, in theory, uh, freed up a fair bit of money with the players that they decided not to pay. And I don't have in front of me what their uh, available cap space is, but I feel like they have money left and they're just kind of not using it. So Yeah, um, let's see. Let's just, I, I did look that up and it was small. But yeah, it's it's uh, $3.9 million. Oh, okay. So they are using up all their money. Uh, they didn't have a lot of cap space to begin with, if I remember correctly. They have a lot tied up in Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, obviously. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I think Matt Ryan at this point is a bit overpaid as a quarterback. I believe he's in, what, the low 30s? Yeah, uh, something like that. And he that. really should be closer to the, uh, you know, like $28 million mark at this point. The the league's kind of moving off from his style of quarterback. Yeah. Uh, Julio, I mean, you pretty much have to pay him that amount of money. Oh, yeah. Who, it's, yeah. it's really hard to pay a, a receiver that much, but it's Julio. Yeah, I mean, uh, just looking at his tra- contract real quick, yeah, like, he's in a three-year extension for so he's making 30 uh 32 million dollars a year and that's fine wait no sorry. 32 no 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 i lied 20 uh 22 sorry yeah <laughs> 20, was... 22 and that's for julio jones that's definitely fine it might still be a little steep honestly but yeah 32 uh i i would 32, sorry <laughs> I, I would try to trade julio if he was getting 32 million a year i yes i i don't know numbers i don't know how to do math obviously on on the fly so all right let's move over let's move down to tampa bay so what more is there to discuss uh than tom brady and rob gronkowski come to tampa bay luckily we already discussed that uh with tom brady a few episodes a few episodes ago which was our first episode this season so go back to that episode i believe it was episode 25 or uh maybe 23, 24. So check that out uh, if you want our hot takes on the Tom Brady deal. But now, what do we think about Gronk coming back? Because we didn't cover this. Uh, should this mean different homes for Cameron Ray and O.J. Howard in the coming years? Do we really think that the Buccaneers should count on Gronk being around for a while? What do you think, Taylor? Um, Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily see Gronk sticking around too much. Right. Uh, we, we talked about it in the first episode and like maybe why he left the Patriots and stuff, but a lot of it was injuries and just the, the physical way that Gronk plays, he's not going to stop getting those. And he's going to play a season maybe to get 19 more concussions and realize maybe I should go back to Real- you know, reality TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Working for the WWE. Yeah, I think that uh, I, I hope that the Buccaneers can find the money to keep one or both Cameron Bay and OJ Howard, because essentially what's going to happen is they're paying Robert Gronkowski $10 million this year. I think what you've said is exactly what's going to happen. I think he's going to get hurt this year. I think he's going to get hurt a lot this year. I think he's going to play, I think he's going to play less than nine games this year, which is going to be the issue for him. And uh, I hope the Bucks realize that they don't have to have Rob Gronkowski to have a good Tom Brady because they have two very capable tight ends for Tom Brady to throw to. Um, and that's why I hope the Buccaneers kind of see, but I don't know. I think they've got Tom Brady Google glasses on right now and whatever Tom says they're going to do. Uh, so the Bucks also did other things in the off season, believe it or not. <laughs> they spent the beginning of the off season, re-signing veterans, Jason Pierre Paul. Yes, he's still in the league. 
and then Dominican Sue, also still in the league. Uh, Shaquille Barrett was also tagged. These three players accumulated 30 and a half sacks together last year. To be fair, 16 and, or 19 and a half of those were Barrett's, but hey, still, pretty good numbers from three players. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Bucks also had one of the best three first rounds uh, that I think in the entire draft. Uh, they traded up the nab Tristan Wirfs, who went as the third tackle selected. He probably should have been the first. Then the Bucks were able to get Antoine Winfield to assist with possibly the more damaged area of their defense, which is the defensive back area. He's a safety, but he can also play in other areas in the nickel, uh, which is really important right now in this league. Um, and after several years since having a legitimate running back, the Bucks did draft uh, Kayshawn Vaughn, a promising running back of the Vanderbilt. I really think that they did spectacular in their first three rounds, considering the already pretty good offseason they had. The Bucks still did not do enough to address their secondary, though, in my opinion. Last season, they ranked 30th in passing yards allowed and 25th in passing touchdowns allowed. Should the Bucks have focused more on a high-caliber defensive back in the draft with the first-round pick other than an offensive tackle? Winston was sacked 47 times last year, uh, but what do you think, Taylor? So, yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, the 47 sack thing, uh, it's definitely a high number. But if, if you watch, you know, definitely some of that is just a lot of Jameis Winston inexperience. Right. Um, but yeah, I think Tom Brady, like, part of the deal for them getting him was that he wanted a better offensive line. So maybe it was requisite that they drafted this, uh, this lineman. But, you know, if you look at the league... You know, talked. I mean, look at the division. Talked about you know Teddy Bridgewater having some weapons and being fine, but then you've got you know Drew Brees with Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. You know Matt Ryan with Julio Jones. Like, you got to do something to stop them. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, yeah, but but then also, uh, you know, that's another thing though. It kind of skews the stats a little bit. You know, they're obviously going to be, you know, worse at stopping passing when they're in a division with those, you know, quarterbacks and receivers. Yeah, it's so. it's just it's it's a battle right now in that division. I mean, it's gonna be so super fun and interesting to watch how the offenses progress in this division, I think. Um mm-hmm. yeah. So speaking of offense that I'm actually particularly excited for, let's move over to Carolina Panthers. So the Panthers that the Panthers had a complete remodeling in the coaching staff. Matt Rule is the new head coach. Joe Brady takes on offensive coordinator and Phil Snow as the defensive coordinator. Rule and Snow had some success at Baylor together, and Joe Brady was the passing coordinator at LSU this past season. Uh, you know, aka Joe Burrow's coach, pretty much. Did Dave Tepper go in the right direction with this new coaching staff, Taylor? Um, it's really hard for me to say. Uh, you know, I, I've seen some coaches, uh, some coaching staffs go places and I definitely wasn't big on them and they turned out fine. Uh, and then there are definitely coaches a lot, which, uh, I'm worried that this will happen. Like I'm really high on the, the Mike McCarthy signing in Dallas, for example. Right. But given the, the, the team in Dallas and the expectations they have, I just have this feeling that Mike McCarthy, at least this season is going to be very disappointing. And so, you know, if, good coaches can be disappointing, then it's really hard for me to rally behind, you know, someone who lacks experience. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, I think that's actually really good insight. Thank you. Uh, That's a really good take on that. And I I would pretty much agree with you. I think that uh, the problem is, is I don't know if Dave Tepper is patient enough to understand what you just said, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because obviously he, he wasn't patient enough with a injured Cam Newton 
Panthers team last year and got rid of one of the best coaches in the league right now. So we'll just see what happens. Uh, I'm not a fan of Dave Tepper right now as a owner. I don't think he's very good at his job. Um, so we'll, I think that these hirings will be the make or break for him being a good owner pretty much. Um, the biggest additions to Matt Rule's new team are obviously Teddy Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson. Bridgewater signed three years at $63 million, and Anderson signed a two-year $20 million deal. Uh, Bridgewater played well in his first two seasons with the Vikings, then after injury in a backup role, virtually did not play until this last season when he some when some thought he could have uh, probably led the Saints further than Breeze himself. Teo said that at one time. I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> Anderson has been productive enough in his four years uh, for the Jets, despite poor quarterback play. Uh, Anderson never had a thousand yard season, but has consistently raised his yards per catch from 14, his rookie year to 15 in this past season. Overall, uh, we like these deals here, right, Taylor? Like looking at the free agent market this past season, do we really think the Panthers uh, did as well as, you know, could they have done any better at the quarterback and wide receiver position? Yeah. So uh, to, to speak on liking the deals, you know, I, I really like to delve into uh, contracts and, you know, salary caps and stuff. I, I think the deals are just a little bit off for me, but as far as the players, I think that they're the correct players for the team. Right. Uh, you know, like Robbie Anderson, this one's kind of splitting hairs, but I really feel like $9 million a year would be a bit better than 10 but sometimes you got to pay a little bit more just to get the player to come to your team. Right. And then, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, like I said, uh, he he's pretty good, but he's been a backup in the league for a while at this point. You know, he, last year he came in for the Saints and, you know, won, what was it, five of five games, uh, which is very good. But the Saints are a good team kind of regardless of who's under center. Right. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how Teddy Bridgewater does on a team that's maybe not as good. Yeah. I like that it's only a three-year deal, and I realize that quarterback contracts are going up, but I think uh, it's just a little bit uh, – Never mind. I I was I was Angeloing the math. Twenty one million dollars a year. I think is is very good. I was thinking thirty one. Thirty one's probably a bit high. Twenty one million dollars a year for Bridgewater. I think is where he should be at, and this is good. I can't believe you. I can't believe you just did that to me just now. Yeah. Angeloing the math. Yeah. Um. You know, and just I I want to like Teddy Bridgewater. I really do. But like when you look at his time with Minnesota, there was kind of this this aura of Teddy Bridgewater in Minnesota, like Minnesota really liked Teddy Bridgewater, like a lot. They liked him, but I don't know for what reasons really, because when you look at it, he, uh, his completion percentage was pretty good around 65%, but he never eclipsed more than 3,300 yards in his two seasons. Uh, well in those individual seasons and then 14 touchdown was his highest year with a 12 interception as his highest year. So, he hasn't been spectacular. Honestly, like his best year was last year when he played just a handful of games. Um, you know, th- those stats weren't spectacular, but at the time he played for the Vikings, they weren't geared as much for a passing attack. They were definitely a rushing and defensive team. Yeah. And he had a winning record there. Yes, he did. I mean, I, he went pretty sure they, they went to the playoffs and he was a team captain even. So it's, it's definitely interesting. I, I'm hoping this isn't a Nick full situation. Uh, where he ends up just not performing well for the team. So that's my biggest well, fear. Well, Nick Foles hasn't yet performed poorly for a team, really. He got hurt week one and played like one game after that. But That's that's fair. That's fair. All right, so obviously the biggest shock to the Panthers was Luke Keekley retiring. The future Hall of Famer was highly regarded as the best linebacker in the league, and to replace him in one season is, in a word, impossible. 
Carolina did pick up a free agent, uh, Tahir Whitehead, to fill that role as best as they could. Whitehead has averaged 119 tackles the last four seasons, just shy of Luke's average of 125 in the last four seasons. I didn't calculate all the seasons because, you know, Luke Keekley had like 100,000 tackles his rookie year, and that would have thrown mm-hmm. off the entire calculation, so I didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> it is a start, but likely not the permanent fix. Uh, the secondary also took a hit as James Bradbury is now a giant who was about the only prominent member of the secondary in the, on that team. Um, thinking their team now has enough firepower on offense, the Panthers proceeded to select defensive rookies with all seven picks. According to the experts, this gave Panthers the Panthers one of the best draft grades. Uh, their first two selections were Derek Brown and Yurtra Grossmatos to replace Jared McCoy and Dontari Poe on the defensive line, which I think, honestly, probably really good picks. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot from these two guys. Last year, they selected Brian Burns with their first pick, so the Panthers are shaping out to have a pretty young and talented defensive line. Last year, the Panthers produced a bottom three rushing defense and the second most points allowed by any team. So they really struggled uh, in that second half of the season, as we all saw. What hope can the Panthers have with this new staff and young defense to keep up with this division? Will the offense in combination of Bridgewater, McCaffrey, Anderson, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore be fast enough to score points to keep them in games? What do you think, Taylor? Uh, So real quick, I want to give a little bit of insight about that statistic, uh, about them being so bad uh, at the rush defense. Yeah. So um, in general, their rush defense was not good. But part of what makes it so much worse than it was is uh, their offense outside of Christian McCaffrey had a lot, a lot of struggles last year. They couldn't stay on the field. They couldn't score. So the defense was getting more tired. And then also with their defense being kind of bad and getting worn down, teams were just up against them a lot, which meant that they were running the ball more. That's fair. Which is just going to to affect those stats a little bit. But I still think that I like the the context-based analysis, Taylor. Good on you. But that being said, uh, I definitely think that it still needed to be worked on. I I agree basically with them spending all of their draft picks on the defense. I think overall the offense is pretty solid. Uh, they could have used maybe some tight end help, but overall I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about the offense now that they've got the quarterback figured out. Good deal, good deal, good deal. So we're so we're we're looking comfortable. You think with the Panthers? I I do think we're looking comfortable. Uh, I th- I still think, you know, new coaches, tough division. This is going to be another rough year for them, I think. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to do predictions later, but I am fairly confident that they're not going to be in the top two in this division. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a given. Uh, they, they might be able to compete for that third place, though. Um, it, it's possible. So you know. we'll definitely see. So, alrighty, let's get to uh, the big winner of the NFC South. Uh, so, who won the NFC South this year? Uh, the fans. <laughs> the fans. Those are the winners yes. of the NFC South. Explain. Okay, so here's the thing. Okay. Here's the thing. Okay. Uh, if you look at successful quarterbacks in the league right now, yeah, like who who are the best quarterbacks in the league? It's all these young, athletic talents. You know, uh, Lamar Jackson was MVP. Patrick Mahomes was MVP. The year before that, had he not gotten hurt, Carson Wentz would have been MVP. But this division, we have Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan. Yeah. Pretty much like the the remaining three pillars. I, I guess, you know, Phillip Rivers kind of exists in this league somewhere. But there's <laughs> there's still like the three like tiers of, you know, tall white guys who stand still and throw the ball. T- 
So, well, other than Drew Brees, Drew Brees isn't tall. I, I sure, he, yeah. he's, but I, but he I feels like it. yeah. it's a personality. Yes, thing. can you imagine? Hold on, pause on that. Can you imagine a world where the Panthers got Philip Rivers and we oh saw Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees in the same division play each other? And then the Colts have Teddy Bridgewater, and I'm feeling a little bit better about that. You're right. This sounds great. <laughs> oh, man. The, what could have been? I'm so mad at Phillip Rivers now. Ugh. It's I, actually the Colts' fault. They tunnel-visioned on him and gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. <laughs> they tunnel-visioned on him. That's a great point. Yeah, uh, so uh, to, <laughs> to be more specific, uh, I mean, actually, that, I mean, that's really, yeah, the fans uh, – are definitely the big winners. I do think that you've got to pretty much look at um, the Bucks and say they're, they're the big winners because of Tom Brady and everything. Right. Uh, but I, I agree. I can't wait to watch the NFC South every game. That's a division game. Uh, I cannot wait mm-hmm. to watch them because um, I'm because I'm actually really excited to see the high speed of the Panthers' offense. Actually, um, who is the biggest loser though? Uh, the Falcons. Yeah, you think so? They just didn't do enough. Yeah. Um, you know, I like I said, I, I, I said you know not top two. I I have a feeling the Panthers are going to finish fourth in this division, but I still think that the Falcons uh, improved far less than the Panthers did. Yeah, you know the Panthers got their quarterback. Uh, they they got a new coaching staff, which could be good, could be not, but they made a change, uh, and they're hoping for some positive, you know, something out of that. You know, what did the Falcons do other than save some money on some players? Take a chance on Todd Gurley? Hopefully it works out. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Probably doesn't. It definitely just feels like the Falcons have just been sliding back and back and back into just this very blah team ever since their Super Bowl loss, which is just unfortunate for their fans and for their for their team culture. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to say the biggest loser probably also uh, – was the uh, Falcons. Um, the biggest loser also could probably be uh, Drew Brees' ability to win an MVP this year. <laughs> 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 Maybe. Um, so uh, what was the biggest need filled, uh, Taylor? What was the biggest need ignored? So the the biggest need filled, I have... Th- there are two, and I can't really decide on which one it is, but it's either uh, the quarterback position for the Panthers... Or the quarterback position for the Buccaneers. Yeah, it's yeah. That, uh, that's a toss up. That's tough. That's tough. I I think it's the Panthers though, because as many turnovers as Jameis Winston has, he still threw five thousand yards and you know thirty touchdowns. So. Yeah. So I, I I'd probably yeah I think I'd probably agree with you that uh, the the Panthers the Panthers attempting to build was the biggest need filled. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, so I don't know why they're not my winners of the off season. Well, I know why, but yeah, anyway. So what about the biggest needs ignored? Uh, it's definitely, uh, for me, uh, you know, the Atlanta secondary. Yeah, I, 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 I'm tossed up between the Atlanta secondary and the entirety of the defense of the Panthers, not not lo- really looking into any veteran leadership. So the, the thing, so. yeah, they, they could have used some veterans, but they did make attempts to address their defense. Yeah. So you can't really say that they ignored it. Maybe they didn't make all the right moves. That's but... fair. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to be the Falcons here. The Falcons are just, you know, it's funny because I want to say the Falcons will finish fourth, but you're right. They probably won't, but uh, they, they probably, even if they don't finish fourth, I think they're still going to be the worst team in the division. 
that could be. Uh, yeah. At least, like, roster-wise. You know, we do have the new coaching coming into Carolina with, you know, all of the pandemic and loss of OTAs and offseason stuff, which is a lot of why I think the Panthers are going to finish last. Yeah. Uh, just the Falcons have familiarity. But. Yeah, we shall see. All right, everybody, we're there. There is all the uh, information you need about the NFC South. You don't need to go anywhere else now. Uh, you don't need to go to any other news outlet. You can just. You can end this, and you can tell all of your friends about all the information you learned here because you don't need any other information, obviously. Uh, also, make sure you go to our Twitter. That's at G-G-O-A-L-L-I-N-E-S. That's the Grand Alliance Football Twitter. Uh, so please go follow that tweet at us. Tweet us questions. We would love to answer your questions and tell a friend about us. Share us. Subscribe, like, comment, all the things that you can do on all the platforms that you can do. Mm. All right. So uh, real quick, just want to throw this in at the end. We've had some more... You know, I mean, 30-minute podcasts aren't exactly what I'd call bite-sized, but compared to what we did last season, we've had some more bite-sized uh, podcasts recently. Yeah. But uh, for those of you who are new, just joining us, maybe don't know, I'm a Colts fan. Angela's a Titans fan. Next up, we're doing the AFC South. Uh, we could be here a while, just so you know. My, I, I have, I don't have a plan yet, but I'm going to attempt my best to make sure that we don't bore you guys. Uh, but it's going to be tough, because I write the scripts, and... It's just going to be one of those things where that's yeah, it's it's going to be a tough one. So please, please just enjoy next episode. But <laughs> so, all right, everybody, uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time about the greatest division of football history. The probably AFC, not the AFC South. All right, bye, bye.